and welcome to the One Million Cups Fargo podcast. One Million Cups is a free nationwide weekly program created by the Kauffman Foundation in 2012 and is designed to educate, engage, and connect entrepreneurs. One Million Cups is organized in 35 states across the country, and the Fargo, North Dakota chapter is one of the most active and largest in the nation. This week at One Million Cups Fargo, we heard from Rob Lindbergh, founder of TrackFrack. TrackFrack is an online portal for ENPs to send and receive notifications for offset tracks, as well as coordinate well preparation efforts. Rob is an especially relevant speaker, as the North Dakota oil boom has been a hot topic in local news and politics. Let's take a listen to Rob's presentation. Good morning. I, uh, I appreciate the frack in the Bakken coffee in the back, so that's pretty good to see. So, uh, I'm Rob Lindbergh. I have a track frack. I also have a lobbying and marketing firm out of Bismarck that I actually started in Fargo um, 13 years ago, almost 14 years ago. So, made the journey out west uh, about eight years ago. I lived here for nine and I grew up in Jamestown. So, my claim to the world is I haven't lived seven miles north of I 94 or a half mile south and a 200 mile band. It's actually not even 200 miles. So, uh, we have this new business, and it turned one uh, just last Monday. And so we'll kind of walk through this, but what's really cool is we filed a patent yesterday. And uh, what's a politico with an economics degree doing in a software business um, filing patent? I don't know. Um, but do need to thank Ed very much for his help yesterday. Uh, it was kind of a rush, rush this in at the end, and it had to be in by midnight, as well as Terry from my team, um, who is an attorney but not a patent attorney. So. Uh, that was pretty cool, and uh, we got that done. So what exactly are we doing? Um, we hear a lot about fracking. Uh, what is it? And, and then what's our place in it? So what fracking is is really just pushing water and sand down two miles under the ground if it's the Bakken and two miles over to break up rock and then release the oil. The sand goes in to stick and kind of try to keep that pore open as long as possible. We're talking about... Um, rock that's thicker than concrete that we're trying to take oil out of. And so by cracking it, that oil can flow through just little small cavities that are in the rock. That's called permeability. And porosity is how, uh, actually, I got those reversed. That's called porosity. Permeability is how that can flow. So we're trying to just make that flow. Well, what happens in that is these wells can communicate. Because if I'm breaking this rock, the rock that's a little bit away can also uh, be affected by the rock I'm fracking. And so if I've got a well here and a well here, they can be impacted. And that's called communication. Um, two days ago, we came up with the slogan for us, because we're managing that communication then between different operators um, or producers of oil and gas when they're neighbors. Uh, I came up with the slogan a couple days ago that fracks communicate well, especially in the Bakken. Engineers don't. Uh, my, my staff killed it, so I can't put it in this, but I can say it and they can't do anything. So why is this a problem when, when these producers aren't talking back and forth? It turns into a late sort of 48-hour notice. Uh, North Dakota, Colorado, and Oklahoma each have regulations on this, but sometimes um, they, they're not missed. And the guy goes on vacation, doesn't check his email box, and doesn't know that this is coming up, doesn't prep as well. And uh, what does that turn into? And, and to give some background, you know, when we go down two miles, over two miles, um, a mile away, 
um, up to a mile away, they're going to prep that well that's going down two miles and over two miles. And so that's what we're trying to do is let this producer talk to this producer in an automated way. But it turns into, hey, the pressure's high at our well. Can you shut down your frack at about $75,000 an hour and wait for us to uh, get prepared? Well, that doesn't do very well. And then it also turns into poorly timed workovers where we might do maintenance on this well um, 10, on, you know, January 1st, but if I have to shut it down for a frack, I don't want to send a workover rig out at $20,000 a day to do work on this day and then have to have them come out again and, and do a frack protect job. So we're saving tens of thousands of dollars at a time. How do different companies do this now or, or basins? Um, the best was on Fort Berthold Indian Reservation, there is one coordinator from one company that co grabs everybody's schedules and sends it back out when he combines them. Colorado did this um, as a whole basin, and uh, we, we took over that process on November 1st. But otherwise, it's engineers, um, different People, uh, some companies send certified mail. In North Dakota, you have to notify seven to 10 days before a frack. Well, you can imagine if I send a letter to Houston, ends up in a mail room, how fast does it actually get to that production engineer? And it's, it's not fast. And then I've got to schedule a workover rig that I have to pull from somewhere else. So, so what we're doing is really we're automating an adding process. So we're, we're letting engineers be engineers again, not GIS exporters and, uh, and emailers. So what we're doing is we're taking a frack schedule, uh, one of three different ways, and we automatically calculate the wells around or determine the wells around it. We have a process of um, knowing who the owner is and knowing their email address, and we send that email out. We also have a dashboard, um, and we're giving control to that nearby owner. So he's not relying on the 25-year-old engineer who's doing this as the last process in the day sort of thing. Now. As, as it's called an offset well, as the owner of that offset well, I'm deciding what contact information should be used as well as what distance I should be notified at. So I'm getting control of how I'm managing my well versus the uh, neighbor's activity. So, and then we send the notifications just by email at 90, 60, 30, 10, and two days. Um, why so many? Colorado's 90, everybody wants a two month notice, 30 day notice to 10 days for North Dakota, two days for uh, Colorado and Oklahoma. So there's kind of a ma method to that madness. How does it work? This is our dashboard. Um, as you can see here, it's a test dashboard. We got track frack. I've got these two fracks coming up. You can see when the date is. And then PDC, which is a real operator in Colorado. Um, if I click their frack here, uh, I'm seeing all the offsets. So Noble Energy has these four wells. Obviously, it goes down further. And then I can put a note in there. Um, Noble Energy is the operator I claim for our test account for TrackFrack, and so these are my wells, and I'm seeing how far away they are. You know, 8,459 feet, I'm not going to do anything. That's, that's a long way away. But if it's 1,500 feet in Colorado, I, I legally need to prep that well. Uh, if it's 3,000 feet, I'm probably going to prep that well in some way, or at least know that's happening. Um, like I showed before, there's three ways to to schedule this. This is our CSV file. That's virtually what everybody uses, and it's very simple. You put in the API number. Every well in the country has a 10-digit number to it. Actually, can be up to 14 digits. Um, and so if I put that in there, that's virtually, along with the date, all we need. The rest is just kind of some ancillary stuff. But now some of our customers are uploading 400 at a time. And, and so you can imagine if I'm 
that operator to notify 400 times throughout the year what my activity is going to be is very difficult. And so having a spreadsheet is uploaded, is putting process just within my own uh, company. This is the email report, pretty basic. Um, this is also an email report. And so this is just kind of demonstrating how we're doing the, the distance calculations. You can see this is the well that we're going to frack. There's no pump jack on it yet because it's not a well yet. And so there's going to be a drilling rig that comes, builds that pump jack, and then the frack process, we're um, measuring wellbore to wellbore or around a point. Or if we only know, uh, in some cases, we know the surface hole and the bottom hole locations, we're going to draw a box around that. So we have three different methods. And that's it. So uh, again, thanks, Ed. Thanks, Terry, for your help yesterday. And uh, I'm here for any questions. After Rob's presentation, we took some time for Q&A with the audience to dive deeper and take a closer look at TrackRack's operations. This week's Q&A session was hosted by Andrew Jason, Director of Ecosystem Development at Emerging Prairie. Let's take a listen. We'll get started here, though, to kick it off. Rob, I'm curious. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the patent process? I know nothing about it, but it sounds exhausting and daunting. Um, it really depends on your attorney, too. <laughs> so uh, ours went on vacation last week, which is kind of the rush of, of why it... Um, and he didn't take his laptop, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, but anyway, so we, we got it in. Uh, it, it, we did a provisional patent on January 28th last year, and so that's why the, uh, the filing had to be yesterday, because that was expiring at, at midnight last night. So uh, maybe a little blame on us for waiting until the end, too, but we filed another one in October and um, knew that we'd have more development. So uh, we first filed that provisional, and so it's, it, it's a long documentation process, and it was really interesting on how we have to explain our processes. Those have to be interpreted, and then we go back and forth, um, which was a lot more than I would ever thought it would have been. Absolutely. The drawings are actually the mystery that we don't understand. So. <laughs> I can, can imagine. Uh, I think we got a question over here. Hi, Rob. Um, congratulations. I, I know it's a challenge to go from vision to execution to revenue, and, and, and uh, happy for you. Uh, my question a little bit is about uh, what's the revenue model like for this product, and who's paying? Uh, paying for the use or for the product subscription and so forth. If you could share that a little bit. So our, our, we have two tiers um, of pricing for producers of oil and gas. Um, we have a premium subscription, which, of course, has more platform features. Uh, we have a, what's called SIMOP, so I can visualize my drilling schedules versus my frack schedules um, and a few other premium services. The API would be a premium service, too. Or I can use a free account, and then they're just giving us their data. And, and the reason we went with free, um, which was a big discussion for us, is the more data we have, the more valuable it is to everybody else. And so we wanted to make sure that our pr premium producers were getting the data from their neighbors. You know, like um, uh, so, like I said, some are doing two, three hundred fr fracks or, or new wells a year, and some are doing two. And so the users of two don't want to pay a lot, but if they can get on here and give us their schedule, um, it makes that data more valuable. And then we'll have a service company, um, which is vendors to producers, which is a lot bigger market. And it, um, I took Ray on a tour of the Bakken um, 
about two years ago now, a year and a half ago. And uh, he's the first one that I've ever taken on tour who saw the opportunity in service companies because that's where your, most of your employment is. That's who's moving around, doing things. Producers are really just the owner of wealth. It's almost like an apartment building. And uh, like a landlord would be a pretty good comparison. And so we see the opportunity in service companies and we'll be the only company getting future schedules. So we'll actually know what operators are doing in the future rather than estimating what they're doing. And so we're gonna have a pretty good suite of, uh, of intelligence tools. Awesome, so we'll go to Twitter here. Uh, question from Randy. Um, how many fracking companies are operating in the, in the box? And is this six companies or 600? What are we talking about for a customer base? Um, so a producer hires a company like Halburn to actually perform the frack. And so an oil and gas um, operator, producer, E&P, uh, a few different names, they own that well like a landlord. They, there's, there's about 50 real producers in North Dakota. There's, um, the technical answer is 149 or something like that. But when you go through, you know, some own one or two wells, but the ones of size, there's really uh, about 20 and then kind of a, a lower tier of another 30. Awesome. Um, frack, fracking companies like Halliburton, there's, uh, there's four in the bucket. Okay. Uh, another Twitter question from uh, Mr. Scott Meyer. How do we get more North Dakotans to start oil and gas companies, especially when they're not from the Bakken region? What opportunities do you see for new startups in the region and industry? Good morning, Scott. Yeah. Um, you know, the, you got to do what Ray's done. Um, Ed, who's, uh, who owns QED, and he's been, um, his company's been doing our development, it, you got to go out there. And uh, I, you can't do the Highway 2, Highway 85 tour. You actually got to get out of the car and uh, go to an event and try to talk to some companies. And um, it's the same way that you would move into any market. Who are you talking to? Uh, and people need to spend time doing that. You know, honestly, they reach out to me, and we'll, we'll take just about anybody for a tour so they can go out and and uh, learn about it. Uh, I should note on the other, on the other company side, I run advocacy for the entire Bakken. So, um, taking people out there to, to just see a well, and um, taking nurses out there, we'll take, we'll take whoever will come. So you want to start a tour like company for us Fargoans <laughs> that don't know anything about it? Yeah, we've we've done a lot of that to be honest yeah. with you. So we we've taken um, quite a bit of people, and in, in we took Mark Zuckerberg on, on the tour when he came up to Williston. Um, and to be honest, that was a four-hour quick tour, and what we do is a day and a half, so you get to see more than Mark did. Oh. There you go. Uh, I think we got a question in the back. Scotty? That's me. I figure if I ask one on Twitter and then in person, I get to ask two. So um, I was just going to ask if you've taken funding or if you're bootstrapped and what you need to really scale, because it seems like your product would be usable you know, nationally and maybe even internationally, so what barriers are there and, and are you trying to go that route or first trying to just be in the Bakken? So we self-funded. Um, I was joking in the back that uh, I haven't told my wife how much we've self-funded. Um, <laughs> and I totaled it up last, last week, and uh, it, was, it was more than I thought. Um, but that's, I'm, I'm really glad we took that route to start. Um, we had the ability to do it, which maybe was unique to... Um, but it, it's made it so we have less pressures, and, and we've been able to really work with our customers, uh, especially in Colorado, and not demand revenue today. And so where we are now, I, I really call the platform finished with version one. And, and so now we're going on to that service company model and, uh, and really starting to see revenue from it. So I don't know if... 
Yeah, we, we actually have the data for the whole country. Um, and so we have ubiquitous usage in the uh, in the DJ base, which is Colorado now. And uh, we're working pretty hard on the Bakken. We're close there. Um, go to Oklahoma next and then Texas and New Mexico. It's, it's more of a how do we get producers together to come on. Hey, uh, congratulations. Um, so I've worked in the energy distribution side on, on electrical. And all of the, the co-ops and the electrical companies we've worked with all have very different systems, needs, reporting requirements. Is, is that part of your value prop is, is catering to each individual uh, customer or is it a more one size fits all? A little bit of both, and so that's why we have the three different options on, on how to set the schedule. The, uh, the nice thing for us is we're really just housing a schedule, right? And, and then we have intelligence around what where wells are, but our API is, is very simple. It's just basically send us data. You know, we check their password and username and that sort of thing, right? But then we just grab that data, so it, we don't ever have to integrate within their server or with their server, which is a huge benefit security-wise. Awesome. Another question in the back. Hi, sorry. Congratulations again. Very interesting. Uh, maybe I lost it, but if a neighbor doesn't participate in your subscription, do you have those data or you don't? We don't. And so that's, that's really, it's kind of like ATMs, right? You need to have so many ATMs for them to be valuable. Um, we like to tell our customers 60% is a really good penetration. But on the other side, we can still send that non-participating user an email, right? Because we'll, we'll, we'll work with our users or just find a, an email address publicly and create a non-subscribing account for them. And so even for our, if we don't have ubiquitous users, it's still valuable because now they're sending their notices out in a reliable process to that non-participating operator. Hi, I too want to congratulate you. It sounds like a lot of work. And uh, my mom has a pad out in the Bakken that isn't getting fracked yet. Could you use your influence to uh, get that going? Do, do I get a cut of the, the uh, minerals too? I'll, I'll take you to burn bombs for lunch. <laughs> it sounds good. Um, so uh, seriously, as an entrepreneur, looking back on the, the last year, what lessons w would you say you learned that would lead you to do something differently than you've done so far, if anything? Um, one of the challenges is I'm traveling constantly, and so how we communicate as a, as a team of employees and contractors and in two different businesses um, is really impacted by that. And when I'm the one meeting with the customers and, and bringing back feedback, it's, it's really easy right here, right? And so our, I would say our documentation, especially in the middle of last year, was, was not good in, in that flow, and that's been rapidly improving. Um, but that that's really the... the uh, most significant thing. Uh, on the personal side, I, I actually need to give my wife a ton of credit. We have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Uh, she, she has a job that she works about 55 hours a week, too. And so me being gone, she's really been uh, the one who takes the brunt of that. Um, and the, we, we did get an evening nanny, which was, was wildly uh, needed and uh, gave her a little bit of break, too. So uh, both if she has to work, and I told her, you know, if you have the nanny for the evening and you get off at three, I don't care, go biking, go to the bar, go do whatever you want, because you got to get out of the house too. So, 
Awesome. We got another Twitter question here from uh, Randy. Is there a positive effect on my well if you frack your well? And is there a uh, is it good for business for co-fracking wells together? I guess, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, there's a thousand different strategies, and it all depends on the characteristics of the rock in that given exact place. Um, in the Bakken, what they're finding is, is communication between fracks actually improves uh, well performance nearby. Everywhere else in, in shale, that's not the case. It usually has a, a negative effect on on the performance of uh, currently producing well. So uh, if, you go, if you go to the conferences, the, uh, the Bakken guys smile and everyone else is kind of frustrated and mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. So I think one of the things that when you're starting a business, the conversation often revolves around uh, the market and what the market cap is. I guess, you know, oil is obviously one of the largest in the world. I guess, what's your sense on that? Do you feel like this is a good market to be involved in? Is it? Yeah, it's, it's fantastic, especially on the technology side of oil and gas. Um, it, because there's so many pieces, uh, you know, there are uh, about 250 different employees who help construct a well, from the drilling rig crew to, you know, there's a, there's a guy who comes out with a, with a blade, and then there's a guy with a dump truck that spreads rock or gravel out right first. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we got a drilling rig, and then a frack crew comes. Uh, it represents about 100 different vendors. So there's a lot of different spots. And, and so aggregating data in oil and gas, especially since the downturn in late 2014, has been a huge um, focus of the industry. And so anywhere where you're handling data, moving it back and forth to optimize performance in, the, in this world or in this market is just fantastic right now. For sure. So we'll take maybe one or two more questions after this, but I guess um, I'm curious about your take being in Bismarck. You know, I think everybody in the state knows about the east-west divide. Have, being a, a guy that works in energy but has lived across the state, what's your take on it? What do you think, uh, Fargo, how can we increase our relationship and kind of um, Grand Forks has a really good focus, uh, and so 10 years ago, this June, they had an East Meets West tour, and uh, they rented a bus, and about 50 business and government leaders from Grand Forks went out, um, did a tour of, of Western North Dakota. It led to a ton of businesses that you, uh, you'd recognize the names, AE2S, construction engineers, so on, um, and they, they did that. They're actually doing it again this summer. We're really excited to host them out there. We've got uh, about three days planned with them. And so there's those sorts of things. But um, I can I look through the audience, and uh, I, I know about six different companies right now that are playing out there. Um, and so th- there's a lot more business that's going on out there than I think we, th- we think or give credit to. Mm-hmm. And then uh, on the other side, there's a lot of tax revenue that's coming back this way, too. It, you know, um, over 50% of North Dakota's tax collections are just severance taxes now. And uh, that doesn't include um, sales tax or income tax. That's also paid. Uh, Williams County, which is Williston, is the highest producer of sales tax in the state. McKenzie County is the highest produ- producing county for oil in the country. They do about 470,000 barrels a day. Uh, North Dakota, 10 years, we were just talking about this uh, last week. 10 years ago, North Dakota's producing 240,000 barrels a day. Wow. 10 years before that, it was about 100. And so in the last 10 years, we've gone from 240 to one count. Well, actually, um, it would be three counties at least, maybe four producing what we did 10 years ago total. You know. Um, Dakota Access carries 570,000 barrels a day. It's just incredible. It pays $30 million a year in property tax. So, Wow. 
Uh, well, oh, we got one last question here. Of the companies that were started in North Dakota, or how many, it was about 100 and some companies, you know, that were involved in producing a well, how many of those were founded or are in North Dakota? You know, it, it really varies. Um, so you've got big, huge companies, Halliburton, Schlumberger, uh, Neighbors, and, and those are out-of-state companies. But there's a lot of roustabout and, and service companies that are based um, in North Dakota, you know, we, uh, we, we work a lot with one out of Minot that's got uh, 170 employees, and uh, it's some guys who just started um, with with zero. They, they invented a new tank. Um, there's there's 700 members of the North Dakota Petroleum Council, and I I, I would bet that four to 500 are, are North Dakota based in some way. Awesome. Well, I'll end it here with the question that we always end uh, every one million cups for, with. What can the community do, do to help you out? Support the industry. Um, obviously, there's political threats to the industry that would wipe out my business entirely. Um, so learn about it. Come out there and tour. Um, and really, if you send me an email, I'll probably take you on a tour sometime this summer. Uh, it takes about a day and a half, and we'll get you out there, and we'll get on site, and it's, it's hopefully valuable. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Rob. We appreciate you making the trip up here. Let's give him a round of hand. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's One Million Cups Fargo. Thanks for listening in. One Million Cups Fargo is powered by Emerging Prairie, an organization dedicated to connecting and celebrating the entrepreneurial ecosystem. We'd also like to thank the following sponsors for their support. Midco, the Fargo-Moorhead CVB, the FM Area Foundation, the City of Fargo, Pro Resources, and the Kilborn Group. A special thank you to North Dakota State University's The Nice Center for this week's audio. See you next time. Mm-hmm.